There's going to be a one world religion. You say, well, how will it happen? And how will it happen so fast? Well, the seeds are being sown in our day, but understand after the rapture takes place, all the true Christians will be gone off the earth. And there will be a vacuum that will be filled very, very quickly. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. In our study of the Revelation, we're in chapter 17, part of the prophetic section that comprises most of this book of the Bible. In this chapter, we are introduced to a woman who is representative of Babylon the Great, an end-time city that will be the seat of a one-world religion. As we pick up in our message entitled, The False Religion of Babylon, we see that the seeds for this ecumenical movement are already being established through the Catholic Church. A major shift began to take place in Roman Catholicism in hoping to syncretize the religions of the world under this Pope, John Paul II. And so he garnered a meeting together in 1986 where he called religious leaders from around the world to Assisi. Many of you know Francis of Assisi. And there present were snake worshipers, fire worshipers, spiritists, animists, Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus, North American witch doctors. And he said this in his proclamation, I have the honor and pleasure of welcoming all of you for our World Day of Prayer in this town of Assisi. Let me begin by thanking you from the bottom of my heart for the openness and goodwill with which you have accepted my invitation to pray at Assisi. The coming together of so many religious leaders to pray isn't in itself an invitation to the world to become aware that there exists another dimension of peace and another way of promoting it, which is not the result of negotiations, political compromises, or economic bargaining. It is the result of prayer, which in the diversity of religions expresses a relationship with a supreme power that surpasses our human capacities alone. And on that day, John Paul II had all of them praying, and he said they were all praying to the same God, and that their prayers would create a spiritual energy that could bring the world together. And so he allowed the Dalai Lama of Tibet to put Buddha there on the Roman Catholic altar in the church at Assisi, who had his monks uh, worshiping next to him, and all these Shintoists ringing their bells and chanting. Now listen, there is one mediator between God and man, and his name is Christ Jesus. You can only pray through the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet he said they're all praying to their different gods or to the God, a supreme being. Here's a picture of Pope the 16th, Pope Benedict the 16th. In 2011, for the 25th anniversary, he brought them back to Assisi. Here's another picture. He gathered over 300 religious leaders from across the world. And of course, on that day, he told them that they all needed to be committed to their own religious faith, quote unquote. There is only one truth, and there is only one faith, and it is the faith in the Bible. And so to tell them to be committed to their own religious faith is sheer heresy and a denial. And he had them all pray. So to whom were the Muslims praying, if not the God of Muhammad? 
To whom were the animists praying if not to their idols? How is it conceivable that a pope could invite the nations of the world together under this religious umbrella and commit such an act of sheer blasphemy? Now, here's a, a picture of Pope Francis last year. And here's a proclamation that he made. Let me read it to you. He said, most people in the world identify to be believers. This should lead us to dialogue among the world's religions. We should not stop praying for it and collaborating with those who think differently. Many think differently, feel differently, seeking God or meeting God in different ways. But there is one certainty that we all have, and that is that we are children of God. Here's a picture of Francis in Myanmar 18 months ago. He said at that place where he gathered all these Buddhists together in a Buddhist temple, he said, all those here in Myanmar live in accord with the religious traditions of Buddhism. And he acknowledged that through the teachings of the Buddha and the dedicated witness of so many monks that, quote, the people of this land have been formed in the values of patience, tolerance, and respect for life, as well as a spiritually attentive to and deep respect for the environment. He's a green pulp. He worships the environment. He worships Mother Nature, I think, more than Father God. But here he is. He's, he's telling these Buddhists. He, what he should have told them as a man of God is that you are worshiping a false god, and this false god is leading you directly into hell. But he didn't say that. He said to the monks in that day, quote, the great challenge of our day is to help people to be open to the transcendent and to realize that we cannot be isolated from one another. Then he said, if we are to be united, as in our purpose, we need to surmount all forms of misunderstanding, intolerance, prejudice, and hatred. Here's Francis eight months ago in the Vatican. Here on this day, he met with Sikhs and Hindus, Jains and Buddhists, and he said that they all needed to thank God because religious leaders can actively foster a culture of encounter by offering an example of fruitful dialogue and by working together in the service of life, human dignity, and in the care of creation. There he is, the green pope. And this pope urged the participants to come together that they might, quote, advance in knowledge of one another and in esteem for their respective spiritual traditions, which are nothing but heresies, and offer the world a witness to the values of justice, peace, and defiance of human dignity. He said that we should esteem the different spiritual traditions. No, we shouldn't. Paul on Mars Hill said you are worshiping a false god. You are worshiping a god that is no god at all. Here's a video he put together at Christmas. Watch it. La mayor parte de los habitantes del planeta se declaran creyentes. Esto debería provocar un diálogo entre las religiones. No debemos dejar de orar por él y colaborar con quienes piensan distinto. Confío en Buda. Creo en Dios. Creo en Jesucristo. Creo en Dios. Allah. Muchos piensan distinto. Sienten distinto, buscan a Dios o encuentran a Dios de diversa manera. En esta multitud, en este abanico de religiones, hay una sola certeza que tenemos para todos. Todos somos hijos de Dios. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. Creo en el amor. 
creo en el amor. Confío en vos para difundir mi petición de este mes. Que el diálogo sincero entre hombres y mujeres de diversas religiones conlleve frutos de paz y justicia. Confío en tu oración. Are we all children of God, as the Pope said? No, as many as received him, being Jesus. To them he gave the right, and to them only, the power, the right, the exousia, to become children of God, that is, to those who believe in his name. We are not all children of God. The Bible clearly delineates you are either of your father, the devil, or you are in the kingdom of light, where Christ is your Lord. There is no in-between. Now, here's a picture just 20 days ago taken where the Pope signed a document with the Grand Ayman al-Azhar. He's kind of the head of the Muslim religion in the world. And the document was entitled, The Document on Human Fraternity for World Peace and Living Together, in which they both agreed to these words and signed it. The first and most important aim of religions is to believe in God, to honor Him, and to invite all men and women to believe that this universe depends on a God who governs it. The pluralism and the diversity of religions are willed by God in His wisdom through which He created human beings. Are the religions of the world that the Bible says lead you straight into hell willed by God Almighty? No, they are not. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, I hope you're going to believe in Jesus and not the Pope. Now, you need to come back next time because we're going to examine in more detail Mystery Babylon. But for now, let me just say there's just one city in the world that will meet the qualifications that are described in this 17th chapter, and it is the city of Rome, the headquarters of Roman Catholicism, and it will become the headquarters, the Bible teaches, of a one-world religious entity. I'm not saying the Pope will head it up. But I am telling you the place where it will happen, and I am saying to you this morning that the very seeds for this kind of thinking are being sown in the world in which we live in. Now, I have no desire to attack Roman Catholics. I am not a Catholic basher. But if I knew you had cancer and I had the cure and I withheld it from you, I would be less than loving and less than honorable and less than just. And if I know that you are believing something that is going to lead you straight into hell, into an eternity without God, I would be less than loving, less than righteous, less than kind not to speak to you the truth. And we are going to see that the people who are doing the bashing in our day are not evangelicals as we are accused of doing, but it is the Roman church who are bashing Bible-believing Christians with 100 anathemas stated at the Council of Trent, reaffirmed at Vatican I and Vatican II, that are all aimed against those who believe the Bible as the infallible, inerrant Word of God. Now, there's coming a day when the religions of the world and the dream of these three popes are going to be fulfilled in Mystery Babylon. There's going to be a one-world religion. You say, well, how will it happen? And how will it happen so fast? Well, the seeds are being sown in our day, but understand, after the rapture takes place, all the true Christians will be gone off the earth. 
and there will be a vacuum that will be filled very, very quickly. And so God uses these sexually charged words to describe the kind of religion we just saw the Pope portray and the kind of religion that John writes of those who dwell on the earth who are made to drink of the wine of her immorality. How many worship and religious systems do you think will carry on after the rapture without missing a beat? The answer is all of them. Because all who are dwelling on the earth are going to drink into this false system. Liberal Protestant churches will keep going. They will keep going. The Roman church will continue to have their masses. And they won't even have to hide their sex scandals that have now reached Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, 42 states in the United States, Europe, Latin America, Africa, and Asia, all the way from bishops to the highest seats, cardinals in the world. Now look, evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians have been immoral as well at times. But when you see the focus and the direction, not for a decade or five decades, but for a millennia and a half that is wicked, then you are looking at the fruit of a false religious entity. The Mormons won't miss a beat. They'll keep going, as will those in Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism and Taoism and Zoroasterism. Why? Because the salt of the earth, God's people will be gone. The light of the world that dispels darkness, that gives the world truth, that will be gone. All of the preachers, all of the missionaries, all of the evangelists will initially all be gone. And with lightning speed, the nations of the world will coalesce together in this perverted religious system. So that's the perversion of this false religion. We'll look at it in more detail as we work through the chapter. Secondly, let's think about the power, the power of this false religion. Look now in your Bibles at verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Sound familiar? It should. Hold your finger here. Go back to Revelation chapter 13 for just a moment. Revelation chapter 13. Do you remember? He uses very similar terminology. I hope you remember when we studied the beast in the chapter 13, I did four sermons on it, uh, that the Antichrist is pictured as a beast. We know him best as the Antichrist. It's one of 30 titles, but the most common title in the Revelation is he's simply called the beast, and he's in cahoots with Satan, 13.1. And the dragon, that's the devil, the Bible tells us that a few verses later, and the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having 10 horns and seven heads, and on his horns were 10 diadems. This verse is just like Revelation 17 and verse 3, and he's using symbolic language here in order to tell us what kind of a man and the nature of the kingdom that he is going to have. And in both texts, he's described as a beast, and he's described as having seven heads. Now, do we know what the seven heads are? Yep, back here in Revelation 17, look down at verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Those seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, next time we'll drill deep down into that verse. What does it mean by this place, this city, this literal place that has seven mountains or seven hills? It's going to be a very important place for the Antichrist. In 17.3 also speaks of him having ten horns. And if you remember when we studied the prophet Daniel, Daniel uses horns to describe the power and authority of a king. 
And again, I don't have to wonder in verse 12 of this chapter, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not received, who have not yet received the kingdom, but they have authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So we'll look at that next week. But here's the point. Antichrist is going to rise to power. Now, we know where in the world the Antichrist is going to come. How do we know that? We've already studied it in the Revelation, and we studied it in Daniel. He is going to come from the revived Roman Empire. He's going to come from Western Europe. There will be a ten-nation coalition that will be in place by the time of the tribulation. And out of those ten nations is going to come an eleventh nation. Remember what Daniel said. While I was contemplating the horns, the ten horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. So there's this ten-nation pack, three of which have prominence. And along comes this little horn, as he's called. He starts small. He's seemingly insignificant. He's able to uproot three of these in the ten nation, and then all ten kings are going to give him allegiance. And on his head, we're told in both chapters 13 and 17, are, were his blasphemous names. That is, everything that he stands for is against the living God. These kings of the earth are going to get in bed with this religious system that will be worldwide, and they will commit spiritual immorality. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings. They have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. So these ten nations are going to come together, and they're going to give their full allegiance to this eleventh one, the little horn called the Antichrist. And so this woman and this coming Antichrist are going to work together, and they're going to lead the nations of the world. Satan is a great imitator, just as Christ has his bride. Even so, the Antichrist has his bride, his woman, so to speak. Again in verse 3, and he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. This harlot this spiritual whore, this woman, will be wed to the beast. And notice, the beast is not riding her. She is riding the beast. She gets all of her strength from the Antichrist. How so? Because the Antichrist is a great deceiver. He is a miracle worker, and he will have his false Christ at work. Jesus said during this time, false Christ. And false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to us mislead, if possible, even the elect. And he will be able to control all the nations of the world. We've already studied this in Revelation 13, remember? And he, the beast to whom the woman will ride, he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. There's going to be a new world order, and if you're not a member of it, you are sunk, you are in big trouble. You're a young mother, you need diapers, you need formula, you go to the store, you realize you can buy neither because you do not have the mark of the beast in which to purchase. You need gas for your car, you can't buy anything at the gas station. Why? Because you have not taken the mark of the beast yet. You're a diabetic, you have medical issues, you need your meds, you go to the pharmacy, they won't let you buy it until you get the mark of the beast. 
It's cold. Your electricity has been turned off. It's 25 degrees outside, but you cannot get the heat turned back on until you take the mark of the beast. And so the church and the state will be wed together like it has never happened in all of human history. Now, I don't think it is by accident. Many of you have had euros in your pockets before. Here's a picture of the euro dollar. And I find it interesting that the emblem is a woman riding a beast because it is out of this section of the world that the prophet Daniel tells us that this 10-nation entity is going to come. It will come with perversion, and it will come with power. Look now at verse 4 as we consider the prosperity of the false religion. Not only is there perversion and power, there's great prosperity, riches behind it. We're told in verse 4, the woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Not only does she have power, she, she has prosperity. And so he describes her in magnificent terms. She's clothed in purple and in scarlet. Listen, like a prostitute who adorns herself to lure some man this woman, with all of her prosperity and glitter, will attract the nations of the world. She's in purple. That is the single most important dye color in the first century. Only kings typically wore a purple garment. Why? Because to create purple, you got it from the matter root. And of course, it just grew in one area. We studied it when we studied the church at Thyatira. Or you could get it from the shellfish murex. And it would take so much just to create one drop of purple. In fact, it was said by Josephus in that day that a pound, to put it in our terms, a pound of gold would buy one ounce of purple. And so it was with great mockery and at his own expense that Herod put a purple robe on Jesus and said, here, look at your king. But this woman will have great power. Notice she's adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. And when we come to the new Jerusalem, those are just trinkets in that place. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. Now, while this religion appears healthy and good and prosperous, God says it is corrupt in its chalice, so to speak. It is full of abominations, of unclean things, and of immorality. It's very much like the Roman Catholic Church in our day. She, like a great prostitute, sits on many waters. It's the biggest so-called Christian religion in the world. And yet it is a religion that is filled with immoral priests, tens of thousands, bishops, cardinals that have been raping little boys in ruining lives. In her hand is a cup of gold full of abominations and of unclean things. That brings us finally to, or fourthly, to the predecessor of this false religion. Verse 5 teaches us something about the predecessor of this false religion. Verse 5 reminds us of the source of this coming religious mystery Babylon. And on her forehead a name was written. Some of your translations say mystery Babylon or a mystery. Babylon the Great, 
the mother of harlots and of the, and of the abominations on the earth. Now, I've taught you before, typically, when you see something that is in all capital letters, your mind should immediately think what? Old Testament. This is an Old Testament quotation. And you can normally go out into the margin and say, oh, yeah, that's where it's from. And you can go back and read it in its original context. That's true of 99.999% of the time in the New American Standard, or really in any Bible, depending on how they set aside Old Testament quotes. This is an exception to the rule. The exception is when a title is given, whether it's here and the other place where it's done, is the title that is written over the cross of the Lord Jesus. In mockery, Pilate wrote, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So here in verse 5, we're told something about the predecessor of this false religion. This one world religion goes back to Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Remember that last week? We went back and we studied Babylon the Great. Now, it's called Babel in some of your English Bibles, Babylon in other of your English Bibles. It's the same Hebrew word. One is the shortened version. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, every single time it's called Babylon. And if you ask a Jew today, is the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babel, the Tower of Babylon, they'll tell you the latter. So all man-made religion, and this being the epitome and the climax of it all in this coming seven-year period, it all goes back to the Tower of Babel, the mother of all religions, where man built based on what he thought, not on what God had revealed, a religious system to worship the zodiac, the skies, instead of the living God who made them. And of course, in all false religion, The basic premise is man earns a right to somehow worship God. It's the exact opposite of the Bible. Of the oysteros, I asked one gentleman, I said, how sure are you that you'd go to heaven? 100%. I said, fantastic. Why are you 100%? Quote, I am a very good person. I wasn't laughing. I was saddened. But I had a chance to share Christ with him. I said, I grew up just like you did as a Roman Catholic. And I said, you have to decide whether the Bible is true. And the Bible says that you don't need a boost from underneath. You need a birth from above. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And that's not something you can work for. It is something you humbly receive. So here's Nimrod back in Genesis 11. And he created this tower of sorts. And, of course, that's what's being referenced here. And on her forehead, a name was written. On her forehead. Now, that's very illustrative. Because, remember, she's described this religious system in sexual terms like a prostitute. She's likened as a harlot. And every harlot in the first century wore a headband. That's how she advertised. That's how you remembered her when you wanted to come back and see that prostitute again. Now, remember, again, in the opening verse of the Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it. He signified it, the margin said. He signified it. In other words, the revelation is given through these symbols and these signs, and most of the symbols and signs are defined for us within the Scripture itself. 
So Babylon is pictured, as we'll study this chapter, as a false religious system. It's going to be prevalent in the first three and a half years. Then the Antichrist, when he's got all the nations of the world glued together through this false religion, he's going to say, you can't be a Buddhist and a Muslim and a Catholic and a liberal Protestant. You're going to worship me and me only. Tomorrow, we'll see where exactly this city called Babylon is located as we conclude our message, The False Religion of Babylon. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 17, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV48. Tomorrow, the conclusion of the false religion of Babylon. Join us then as we search the scriptures.